So I want to, um, there's going to be a lot of this message that's story, just kind of telling stories, talking about it. If you're new here, um, you know, this is not what normal Sundays are like at Parker Ford Church, just for the record, okay? You know, you can kind of just download that and say, okay, come back next week. It'll be a little different. That's all right. Um, true confession. You know, if there's a word that epitomizes this year in Parker Ford Church, um, and not in one way or another, but in dozens of ways now, I, I, confession is the word that just makes sense out of our lives. And it's the word that God just seems to be doing again and again. Um, some of you have heard one confession, a public confession, or two or three. But, you know, as pastors, one of the things we talk about often is that we feel like we're receiving confessions often. And, you know, if you're Catholic or historically Catholic in this church, you're like, oh, my goodness, you picture a booth or something, you know. And none of that. Um, I've heard our pastors confess to each other. I've heard our pastors confess to their wives. I've heard confessions just been flying around. And confession as a word literally means to agree with God. And it doesn't always mean sin. Sometimes it means uh, I agree with God about the fact that I'm too small for my circumstances. I can't win. I just can't. I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. I'm not uh, big enough. I'm not capable enough. I am this or I'm not that, you know, whatever. But what, being honest about it is what confession means. And it means that you're telling somebody about that thing. So true confession, at 6.07 this morning, I called Tim, and I checked my phone to make sure this is actually true. But at 6.07, I called Tim this morning, and I said, I don't think this is a good message for me to give Parker Ford Church. And this is confessing for Tim, but he didn't get the message. Um, <laughs> and we, when he got here this morning, I said, did you get my phone call? He's like, no. And he looked, held up his phone, and there was no missed calls. And mine said, 607, I called Tim. And I, I only have, like, one Tim Deering in this phone. So, um, you know, I tried to avoid this this morning. I just want that on the record. You know what I mean? Having said that, I want to tell you a story, and it's um, a moving story for me, and so it's going, to be, it's going to be a little interesting. There's a few of these. You know, a few weeks ago, there's a guy here from out of state, and he just happened to be here. Um, didn't know many people, if any, and uh, he was sitting in our service. I'm not even sure what sermon was preached. I can't track it. I can't tell you what was being talked about. And uh, there was this moment, you know, just kind of uh, where something happened in his life, and we're not sure what that was. We're not sure. And we don't know, you know, you don't know this guy, so I can talk about it. I won't mention names, but, it, you know, it's one of those things. And uh, sat in this service, and he heard the word, whatever that word was, can't remember. And three days later, he had a dream. And what happened, you can tell I'm a little moved by this. Uh, what happened in that dream was God told him to stop running from his failures. And he said, okay, I got to get honest with some stuff. And so then he got in touch with us, and he got in touch with, as it turns out, a bunch of other people in his life, including a pastor that, that was shepherding him in another state, and uh, started to tell the fact that over the last uh, months and years, he's been living a lie, and he had a whole list of things that he was lying about. And it was, it was a big, big list. This is the sort of list that, when it, when it comes out, he had to tell his wife about that list. And when he told his wife about this list, you know... Whether she was going to be his wife anymore was, maybe is, a bit of a question because that list included things that were pretty large failures when it comes to their marriage, and, and it was hurtful. It was really amazing for me when I heard that story, and I got a text that started the whole thing off, and now I've texted with this guy a bunch of times, and middle of the night sometimes I'm getting texts, you know, that sort of thing. And as he, as he 
came clean about his stuff and agreed with God about his stuff. You know, it was just amazing because I thought, we've seen so much of this, and here's a guy who just walks in here one day and sits down and hears this and is never coming back. No chance that he's going to be a Parker Ford person. Never, no chance he's moving into this area. He's just like here, you know, on vacation and said, I'll come to this church. And he had this moment, and God got a hold of him. And in a dream, it wasn't, he, I wish he would have told me or Tim that he, we preached such a good message that he just had to come clean. But he didn't. He was like, I was going on in my miserable mess without anything from that sermon. But then God woke me up in the middle of the night with this dream. He told me about the dream, too. It was a pretty amazing dream. I won't tell it to you, but it was, you know, something unique. I, it was about a week, two weeks later, it just occurred to me that there was a hurting wife out there. And and I was hearing him talk about his wife. And as it turns out, she's been a champion in prayer. And she's been just anxiety-ridden. And this message is about anxiety. And she has gone through deep anxiety and hurt. She's seen a counselor. She's gone through pain. And she's lost weight, epic amounts of weight, as it turns out. And she didn't apparently need to lose too much weight. You know, she wasn't, that wasn't a good thing. And she went through this whole bunch of junk uh, going on in her life because she knew something was happening. And she could see it, but she didn't know what, you know. She just knew, as wives do and as people who walk in the Spirit do, that her husband was in the middle of a battle, and she'd been praying and praying and praying and praying and being lied to again and again and again and again. And this lie was just twisting their relationship into broken places, and it was hurting, and she was being hurt as a human being and doubting things about herself. And it was getting really bad, and then all of a sudden he comes clean, and it got worse. You know, because the truth is worse than, in some ways, the the absence of it. And yet it set her free and it set him free. And it got better in some ways as well. And I was hearing this story from the husband's perspective. That was our connection. And then I realized I needed to talk to this woman. And I, I actually gave her a call. And surprise, of all, surprises, she answered the phone. And I just had a prayer day. We were praying for Drexel Hill Church of the Brethren. They've just uh, started a replant. And I was down there praying over Drexel Hill, west side of Philadelphia. And I was coming back, and I decided to call this person. And I was listening on the phone. And I just heard this heart-rending cry on the other end of the phone when she started talking about this. She got really open with me. Nothing would have prepared me. I thought she'd be mad or I don't know what, but she just was open. She said, I have prayed, and God has spoken to me again and again and again about this situation, and I felt like I was being lied to, like somehow I was hearing God wrong because this couldn't be true because I kept asking, and it wasn't true according to my husband. It wasn't true according to all these different ways and, you know, all this different stuff. And, And yet when he came clean, every one of those words made sense. Every truth she'd heard from the Holy Spirit, it just came flying out into the open. And she said, God has been steering me straight. My husband's been steering me crooked. She said, what do I do with that? What's more is she was humiliated. Some of this was embarrassing, deeply wounding stuff that just made her feel like other people were going to look at her and it's going to come out, you know, and and she's going to be looked at. You know, as there's always that moment, right, when when the politicians fall into a scandal and you hear so-and-so did this, and then you see the wife in the background. And you just, you worry, you pity, you feel this, that, or the other thing, but no wife wants to be in that circumstance. And even if you're not a politician's wife, even if you're just going to hear that with a few friends, you don't want to be that person. And she expressed all that stuff. And the God, God just started to speak to me on, as I'm on the phone, and I started to think about this. And I was like, you know, you need to know that you've won a battle, not lost one. She said, I've lost everything in this. And I said, you, it's actually that you've won. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, 
you've been fighting for your husband's life. You've been knowing that he was living a lie. You didn't know where that lie existed. You just knew that it was there someplace and you were kind of walking it out and you were digging in and you were asking questions and you were perceiving and you were understanding beyond the moment, beyond what anybody could have told her. And I said, now God used all of those prayers and the authority you have in your husband's life. And I believe spouses have immense authority in each other's life. When we start praying for our spouse, that's one of the best things. You need to have your spouse pray for you. That's one of the greatest things God uses in our lives. And I said, even though he was walking in failure, God was listening to your prayers. And now he has set him free. And she said, that's just not what I was thinking. (laughs) I don't feel good about it. I said, well, I don't know whether you should divorce him or not. I'm not going to talk to you about it. No moralisms, no stone throwing, no this or that. He's back in and you're like, where am I? But I said, you know, the almighty God of the universe has been using this circumstance in your life. He has been working and working and working. And the human way of thinking about this is that this is where the failure, this is where it feels like a failure. And this is actually where all of this is actually success. And in the kingdom of God, we got a brother back. I don't know if you got a husband back, but this guy was a Christian. And this guy decided upon a road of failure, and that failure led to another failure, and it got worse and worse and worse as failures get. And, and you helped set him free. And she was just all of a sudden like, wow, this is a new moment. Caused me to start thinking about confession and how it works at Parker Ford. You know, we have this need for us to be free from anxiety. And anxiety is this thing that happens because we're in a decision-making or problem-solving mode, right? Most of our lives are about dealing with stuff. And we have stuff, you have stuff, I have stuff. We have things that face our life. And then those things cause us to fear to some extent. And when the fear gets too much, we build into anxiety. I don't want to tell you this stuff because I don't want to talk about it because I feel this too often. Anxiety can get to me. And anxiety is when that fear gets out of control and you lose your way and you start, and maybe you lose control of your physical body, right? Panic attacks, anxiety attacks. You get a clenched chest feeling. It's not a heart attack. It's your body responding to all the stress. Maybe it's, maybe it's that you actually just can't think straight after a while, but we struggle with this. Anxiety is beyond fear, but you you start with this problem solving, decision making, fearless sort of personhood that God built us in. And then these things assail us and that's kind of normal. And then we go beyond them and we succumb to them and we get anxious. And that's a little bit of what happened to this woman. And I don't blame her a bit. And God started to set her free and God started to set her husband free. And we're not sure how that story is going to turn out yet. And when Sid, we're going we're to track it. I guarantee you that. I'm going to know how it turns out. And you can ask me and I'll let you know. Because God's going to do great things there. And I'm not sure what those good, great things look like. But I do know that what he's trying to do at Parker Ford Church is he's trying to set people free. And he set this guy free to the point where he dimed out every bit of his sin. And it was sin that just, you know, nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to tell the truth about ourselves. And yet his anxiety, and he started to talk about all the failures in his life and how tense he was. And he said, it all kind of went away. And the moment I told the truth. Another story. Matt Willauer and I, I can actually talk about who this is. I, I called him ahead of time and said, I'm going to talk about you. I didn't ask his permission. I told him. That's how Matt and I work. You, you know Matt. Matt and I are buddies. And, uh, you know, I, 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 that was my way of asking permission. But a couple of weeks ago, we went to Philadelphia. He had a back problem, and his surgery was coming, and, you know, a real significant difficulty with his lower back. And I went to Philadelphia with Matt and Laura. You're in the back. Laura's a champion. I mean, Matt was on these narcotics, and they messed him up. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
and he was anxious, and they met. The anxiety plus the narcotics led to these conversations. They were so funny. I mean, they were just, I wanted to record them and, you know, use them to, to get money from Matt later on. Um, but he didn't, you know, I wouldn't do that. I'm a pastor. I'm not allowed to. Uh, but it, that was the sort of conversation this was. And we're going to his pre-op appointments and we're sitting through these meetings with nurses. And, and I was telling everybody, like, I'm his pastor because two guys come into a room together to talk to a nurse. And I'm like, I just need to explain this a little bit. You know, what pastor comes to parishioner meetings like this. Anyway, so Matt and I are in these meetings and we're going through the whole thing and it's just anxiety. But we had a, we had, it was a lark. It was fun. It was hilarious. It was like, we had a good time and we mostly made fun of each other and argued all the way to Philadelphia and back. And along the way, we got a cheesesteak at what I'd stand I'd never been to. It was the greatest place. If you, I'll tell you the secret later if you want to know. But a week or two later, he had that surgery and um, things went pretty well. And he came home and, you know, our church fried meals, all those different things. And um, they went through some painful times. And then last Sunday, Matt was doing just just great. He was actually here for the service. And we didn't, I didn't expect him to be. He was actually here. And he was like, man, I'm really doing great. And everything was wonderful. And then two, or Monday came. And about 1130 in the morning, something started tweaking in his head. And it just kept growing and the pressure and the pain and it just got worse and worse and worse till about 6.15 he texted me and he said, I'm in excruciating pain and I'm laying in my bed and I'm just scared to death. And he said, and I'm looking at the sheet and the sheet says, you know, that sheet you get when you have surgery. It says, if you have a headache like this, you call the surgeon immediately. That's not a line you want to hear because, you know, they messed with his spine and if that fluid starts changing in the spine, it can push on the brain. And then if it pushes in the brain, that does bad things, right? Just does bad things. And so Matt said, I'm laying in bed and I can't get up and I'm just, I'm, I'm a mess, you know. And so I went, I decided I was going to go over. We were making dinner. I decided, you know, it's worth just stopping in. Matt lives five minutes from my house or less. And I went in the back door and yelled, Laura, I'm here, you know. And she said, come on upstairs. And I went into the bedroom and there's Matt just, you know, in all his glory laying in bed, just like all, just a mess, Um, just really hurting. And uh, he said something funny, but then he just groaned and you could kind of see him going back and forth. And it's just a moment of grace as we went up there. Laura, you know, they have this little baby, this little baby Ainsley. She's nine months old. And she's just giggling and laughing as I walk past her, just smiling at me. I'm like, all of the tension and hurt in this house and this baby is just loving life. It was just kind of a moment, you know. And I, I got into the bedroom and I looked at Matt and I, he said, you know, he described the pain and all this stuff. And the, the Holy Spirit started to just kind of speak about what needed to happen. And I was like, okay. And it was something I don't usually do. God was like, you got to pray. you got to pray different. You know, there's a difference between praying in faith and praying, right? You pray, you just kind of pray. And now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. And that's a prayer. And it's a fine prayer. But prayer when you're like looking at somebody in this circumstance and God starts to say, trust me for healing is a different thing altogether. And God was like, I want to heal this guy. I'm like, okay, I got to believe it then, right? So I crawled into bed with Matt. This is the only parishioner I've ever crawled into bed with. (laughs) I want you to know that. Well, Shelby, I guess. Tim's pointing at my wife and I guess we can go there, but yeah. So Matt and I are now in bed together, and, uh, and Laura's there, and Ainsley's there. It was fun. You were like that, right, Laura? I mean, it was, it was like that. And, and Ainsley's giggling, and Matt's groaning, and I, I, I'm like, Matt, I'm going to put my hand on your head. Now, as dudes, we don't do that. We don't 
we don't crawl into bed and we don't touch each other. And, you know, like there's this moment and I'm like, God, you know, you want to heal this boy. And I started to pray for him and I started to really pray and something happened. Wasn't really clear what yet, you know, like things were moving around in his head the way he put it. He said, I feel a change. That's, I think that's what he said. I feel a change. And we prayed for a good amount of time and then we stopped and uh, he said, it's really different. There's something in here that's different. I said, okay, good. Sat there for another five minutes and we talked, Laura and I talked. And then he said, it's coming back and it's, and he pointed right to a specific spot and it's getting worse again. And so I said, oh goodness, you know, how's this going to work? So put my hand back on his head. And now I'm really like, this is just weird. I hope nobody talks about this, you know. Now I'm talking. And I put my hand back on his head and I started to pray. And I really, you know, I don't know how to tell you this, but your spirit, you want to get yourself into this prayer, but it's really hard, okay? It's really hard to believe. And when people tell you it's hard to believe in Jesus, it's hard to believe in Jesus. And, and you know, I remember thinking it was hard to believe in Jesus when I was 16 and I wasn't somebody at all who believed in Jesus. And the first moment I actually believed, I found this like journey past a line and I didn't know that line existed. On one side, I was not a believer. On the other side, I was. And I was like, wow, this is a whole different thing, you know? Well, it was a little like that where I was like, I, I just, I want to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. There's that line in the gospel. And I crossed over that line and I could feel it. And I crossed over at a really unique moment. It was this kind of interesting thing. I was praying. I was really trying to get myself there personally. And Matt, (laughs) Matt grabbed my hand and he did this. He just held on to it and put my hand on his head. Now, confession looks different in every scenario. Don't let anybody tell you that confession is just, you know, a booth in a church or even just telling a few friends around coffee about your secret failures. Confession looks like agreeing with God wherever God is and whatever God's doing. And what I looked back on it and thought about this whole week is when Matt grabbed my hand, it was a moment because he was confessing, I need help. It was no longer me just praying for him. It was him joining in the prayer. You know what I'm saying? And all of that anxiety that I'd seen the previous week going to Philadelphia and all of that hurt we were seeing in that moment, he was just gripping onto my hand and he didn't let go until you could tell. He let go just before I stopped praying. There was a moment when we both felt like, okay, this is done. Laura was here for the whole thing. Just I needed somebody else to be in the room for that, you know, two guys in a bed. And uh, it, was, it was great. And Ainsley giggling the whole time. It was just funny as anything. And the pain started to go away. And every half an hour, the pain just got better and better and better until Corey and I were supposed to be over there at 8.15 for, uh, to play a game or something, and he had had this social night planned. And uh, by 8.15, I was like, we'll never be there, you know. And at 8.15, Matt was walking around just normal. He was fine. We had a great night. What do you do with that, right? You know, when we talk about, yeah, somebody said, praise God, and you just whispered it. You know, we kind of need to shout it. I mean, when God does stuff like this, we get, my hand is still the same hand that I wash the dishes with. There's nothing special about Josh Bightwork. This is a moment with Jesus, right? It's a moment when God reached in. And that moment with this guy who was sitting in our church and he heard something. And then he went and had a dream. And then he confessed his whole life to his wife and to a bunch of others of us, including leaders in our church. And when he got free, there was anxiety that broke off and there was hope because he faced his failure. He went after the broken stuff. He went after it and he went after it with Jesus. He decided he wasn't alone anymore. He decided he was going after it with God. So another moment, and this is one I'm going to confess in. Thursday night, we went to dinner with some friends of ours. Shelby and I have these friends. They're just awesome friends. They were heroin addicts. 
Um, and they did tons and tons of drugs. They were homeless in Kensington and in Coatesville. And the 17th time this guy got busted, I've gone through his whole life story with him. The 17th time he got busted, uh, the judge decided to give him a choice. And he was either going to jail for a long period of time, 17 times getting busted for heroin. He still, not, he still wonders periodically if Philadelphia has a bench warrant out for him. He goes down there and checks it out, and they can't find it. It's really funny. He goes to City Hall, and they can't find the bench warrant for him. But uh, anyway, he, the 17th time, the judge sentences him to either Teen Challenge or to jail time, and he takes Teen Challenge, which is a Christ-centered ministry for recovery. And he and his wife both get sentenced there, and they send him to Muskegon, Michigan, which is how I know him. They're from here, and they went there, and they, he became an elder in our church after God changed his whole life. And uh, they became Shelby and I's dear friends. And he was out here on a business trip. She was out here on vacation. We went out to dinner. We had a, we had a fun night. And they are smart, smart people. You know what I'm saying? And let me tell you about me. True confession, I like to be smart. Not only do I like to be smart, I like to be smarter. You know, like if somebody else is there, I want to be smarter than them. You should see pastor's meetings when I get like this. You know, I'm like, Tim, you're smart but I'm smarter. You know, that's, that's, that is the sin of my heart easily if I, if I let myself go there. And these people are smart. And you find yourself engaged in a conversation that's just all over the map because they're corporate America people doing great things and they're spiritual people doing great things and they're people who have this past that they can tell the funniest stories you'll ever hear. They're funny now, you know what I'm saying? And we're talking at dinner and we're at Bahama Breeze, of all places, and they're talking. And it's just like, it's a competitive environment socially where we're all firing away, bang, 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 except for Shelby. Now, Shelby's smarter than me, just for the record, but she didn't feel the need to assert her smartness in this conversation. And somehow I did. And we had this whole, like, back-and-forth banter just going on and on and on. And that night, as we were driving away, Shelby said, you know, things have changed with us and them. I said, what what do you mean? She said, well, I think they must have changed because it just wasn't as much fun as it used to be. And, uh, you know, Shelby and I have walked through a season where we've had a lot of things broken in our lives, a lot of stuff hitting us. Not one thing or two things, but a bunch of different things going all over the place. And we've had to get, like, close and small in some ways that we didn't used to be. And we've, we've had anxiety in our lives, probably. And she said, you know, it's just different. And I prayed about that. I really thought about what, what changed. These are our good friends. I don't want to lose them. What's the dynamic? And I could feel it, too, after she said it. Well, we started, I started to think, and God was working on me. He said, you know, you like to be smarter. Uh, no, God, I don't. That's not true. And he's like, yeah, it is, you know. And he's like, you were trying to be smarter that night. And they're always smart people, and you tried to be smarter. And that meant you all interrupted each other, and you all had a good time interrupting, and you all had all this stuff. He said, did you ever think I'm trying to do something different? And then he took me back through the last few months of my life and some of the stuff that's hit us, and I can't tell you about all of it, but some of the things that have hit us that I've had to confess and work out and share with brothers and sisters that are close to us. And and, and as I was thinking about all of that stuff, it was interesting. He was like, you know, how did I lead you in these moments? He said, he pointed one moment in particular where I was really anxious about this specific relationship. And he said, I told you to love like First Corinthians 13, right? And he said, you're not going to win because you're smarter. You're going to win because you love better. I was like, yeah, I'd never liked that moment. I'm not good at love. I'm good at being smart, God, you know. It's not really true. It's just what I like to tell myself. And he's like, you loved better. You weren't smarter. And then he said, and you know, what's more is once you love, you actually have to enter into a place where it's like you're a container in my power has to fill up and win the day. And you're not actually going to win the day on your own. You have to trust me to win the day for you. Oh, to give up power is so hard, right? 
And to enter into this conversation, I had to be, in my mind, powerful in a very minimal sort of way. I had to banter back and forth and fire one-liners out there as quick as everybody else around the table was doing it. And, and that was how we'd related for years. And God said, I've changed the game for you. You and Shelby don't relate like that. And I said, no, we don't anymore. That's true. We actually live in love and we actually live in God's power setting us free. I mean, God didn't set Matt Willauer free last Monday because I was smarter. And God didn't convict this guy in our church service because I preached a better, smarter message. In fact, God didn't do any of this stuff because I was more powerful. The Spirit of God is working, and that's just him working. There's anxiety in most of our lives, and that anxiety comes because the fear overcomes us and we give in to something that gets beyond our ability to handle it. And there's an alternate storyline to this whole thing, right? You don't have to give in to anxiety. What what the alternate storyline is, is there's a road to faith. In Hebrews 10, it says this, and I want to just read it for you. We're going to skip most of my PowerPoint this morning. We're just not getting there. It says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We're not people who shrink back from the problem. When the problem hits us, what happens in that moment, how we respond to that moment defines whether we're going to have anxiety or whether we're going to go another step. And the interesting thing about the Bible is it actually lays out for us that trials are good things. I hate this passage, just for the record. James 1 tells us that you can consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds. Who likes that passage? And what was James thinking when he wrote it? You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to laugh a little bit at that. I'm, I'm, I'm mocking the Bible. That's not a good thing. But when James says it, we're supposed to go, what in the world? We don't want trials of many kinds. And he says, but this will transform your soul. And First Peter 1 is even nastier. It says that we have to heat up the human life. God has to heat up the human life. And when trials hit us, it's like a crucible. It's like one of those pots that they heat metal in. And when the, when the pot gets warm, the metal gets warm. And then the alloys and the dross and the junk goes off of the life. And it becomes pure faith. And without the heating up of that life, we don't actually get pure. As far as I can tell, there's no substitute for pain for helping people become what they're supposed to become in Christ. Isn't that tough? That means that we're all going to face moments that we are going to be tempted to shrink back, and those moments are going to be the moments when we are blessed with the opportunity to be transformed by, or we're also, or we're going to, we're going to go the opposite way and we're going to shrink back and we're going to get anxious and hide away in our souls. We're going to say, you know what, we can't face this moment. We're not big enough. And God never thought we were big enough anyway. And in those moments, the defining characteristic of the people who choose faith is they find what God is saying and they confess with him that whatever he's saying is the truth and they join him in it. Sometimes he's saying, I want you to step out in faith and take a step. Sometimes he's saying, I want you to tell the truth about you and you're a failure. Sometimes he's saying, I want you to just admit that you're small. Whatever it is, we have to confess because the road to faith includes always the road of confession. And if there's a discipline, we talk about these worship workouts, if there's a discipline we don't like, it's confession, right? And I have found over time, it's not enough to just confess with God in the closet, you know, it's... God, I know I'm a failure. I've confessed the same sin for years and years, sometimes that way. But when I tell another human being, it changes it. All of a sudden, somehow verbalizing what's actually in my soul, the brokenness that's in here, changes when I put it out there. I've realized that, you know, most of us have some area we're going to shrink back from. 
Something's going to hit our lives, and it's, for some of us, it's cancer, and we're going to be afraid of cancer. Some of us, it's death, and we're going to be afraid of death. Some of us, it's financial difficulty, and we're going to be afraid of that. Some of us, it's a, we, we we're relational people, and the people in our lives, if they let us down, we find it very hard to forgive and get o- overcome. That's what my friend on the phone was saying about her husband, right? And in those moments, whatever it is, we have to confess this is what we're struggling with because that's the way to not shrink back and to step in. And this is tough. God corporately says these lines, by the way. He doesn't say them individually. And so when he says we're supposed to confess and we're supposed to attack in the moment of great problem and we're supposed to attack in faith, we're supposed to believe beyond. When he says these lines, what he's not saying is that everybody's going to have what it takes to be faith-filled people every day. A lot of the time what he's saying instead is we have to be faith alongside our brothers and our sisters who are going through one of those dark moments because we're going to see moments in them that they don't see for themselves. So the road to faith is not one that's supposed to be, never intended to be, walked alone. And if there's a lie on this land, listen to me closely. We live in German territory, right? This is German. You may not be German. I actually am a little bit. But you might not be German. You might not have been here for very long. But if you are historically German, and if you're historically from Pottstown, there is a lie here. And the lie is, I face my stuff by myself. I don't need any help with this. And if I do need help, then I can't admit it because that's admitting something even more. When Matt grabbed my hand, what he was saying is, I need help. When this guy confessed and said, listen, I don't know what you're going to all do to me. You might do this, you might do that. I might not have a wife at the end of this. I might not have friends at the end of this, but I'm going to tell the truth about me. What he was doing is he was giving up control and he was saying, I need help, I'm not enough. When this woman accepted my word that she could forgive her husband because the kingdom of God was birthed in this moment, not broken in this moment. His confession was actually building for a glorious future, not just overcoming minimally for a broken past. What she was doing was stepping in and saying, I need help. I need faith to get beyond this moment. And what I did when I was acting smarter than my friends was I was saying, no, I don't want that power from God. I want to be powerful in myself. I don't need help. And anxiety builds from that moment, and it shrinks from all the rest. Tim gave me a scripture, and I don't listen much to Tim, um, so I never read it to you, but I'm going to quote it nevertheless. That's a joke, too. You're supposed to laugh. Joshua 1 has this great line that says, and he's talking to a general. And the general is going out to battle to conquer. And he's going to conquer all these different cities. And he's going to conquer them differently. Each city is going to require that he listens to God. And it says, be strong and courageous. And the word strong means don't move. And you can kind of picture somebody just clinging to this cross, clinging to the truth of what this faith is all about. And it says, don't let go. Whatever you do, just grab a hold of this thing and hang on for dear life because everything about this world is going to try to move you. But then the word courageous is almost the opposite sort of word in Hebrew. It means step into and overcome what you're facing. So don't let go and don't be hesitating as you move forward. Push me, pull you. Somebody go get me some coffee, but nobody leave. You know, it's, it's contradictory commands. And yet God says to Joshua, listen, step into this, step into it. And when you do, don't step out of what you know. Step into the truth and stay there. And then step out on faith and conquer the territory I've called you to conquer. And for each person in this room, there is territory, according to God's word, that you're supposed to conquer. And it's never going to happen unless you step into faith confessing what you really are good at and what you're really not good at and where you've really failed. 
one more set of thoughts and then we'll close. And that's that when I was thinking about this sermon, there's a line in the Bible. <clears throat> you might have heard it. It says, the, the just shall live by faith. Often repeated line, again and again. It was repeated by a guy named Martin Luther who started the Protestant Reformation in 1517. And he was quoting a guy who lived just after Jesus ascended from he- into heaven. His name was the Apostle Paul. And that guy, Paul, was quoting a guy who lived in 586 B.C., 600 years before Paul. And that guy was named Habakkuk. If you're looking for a name for a child, I like this one personally. And Habakkuk was something special. He was mad in his day about the people who were sinning. And he went to God, and he was a prophet. And he said, God, I'm tired of all these sinners. And God said, I agree. You've confessed the right thing, Habakkuk. Let's, you've told the truth about your culture. And Habakkuk said, okay, what are you going to do? And God said, I'm going to destroy your culture. And Habakkuk said, I was looking for a little more police presence, not a destruction of our city. And God said, well, sit on the walls and watch because I'm going to destroy your city because they're so filled with sin. And then Habakkuk says something akin to, how do I survive this road? This is a great moment of transition and difficulty, God. That's understating it a bit. His city's going to be destroyed and he's not allowed to leave and it's by the nastiest army on the face of the planet at that moment. And this thing happens where God says to him, well, if you're righteous, if you're one of my people, you're going to live by faith. Habakkuk 2.10, the just shall live by faith. Paul the apostle is facing a moment of great change where he was about 600 and some laws that the Pharisees were all about and this wineskin of faith and God started to change it and he poured the truth and the life that was in Jesus into the world and the wineskin of Paul's religion couldn't handle the truth of Jesus. He couldn't find his way to confessing that Jesus was Lord until Jesus spoke to him specifically, particularly on the road to Damascus, that same Damascus that's in the news this week with all of the conflicts. And as he's on the road to Damascus, Jesus speaks to him, and he has to confess that Jesus is something he never wanted to confess that Jesus is. And this faith that he'd been a part of, it wasn't enough, and he had to confess. And he uses a line for all of that transition. He says repeatedly, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews all quote it, The just shall live by faith. He goes back to Habakkuk and he says, listen, people who are going to live righteously in a moment of great change and great difficulty, who are assailed by doubts and difficulties, what are they going to do? They're going to walk into faith by confessing and saying, this is how we do it. We don't don't know how it's going to go, but we're going to step out and God's going to give us the next step and the next step and the next step. 1517. About 1,500 years after Paul, Martin Luther is wrestling with demons, literally. At one point, he throws an inkwell at one. We're not sure about this historically, but he seemed to be able to see demons. Isn't that interesting? And he throws a bunch of ink at the wall, and it, it doesn't hit the demon. It splatters all over the wall, and he's going through all these difficulties. He's a crazy guy, really crazy. A couple of doctorates, really smart, and he's going through this whole thing. And, and as he uh, goes through it, he comes across this line. Maybe the church in your day is actually an idol. Because the just shall live by faith. He reads Paul, who was reading Habakkuk. And he says, listen, you've got to confess that this is going to be done by faith. And you're going to have to step in with confessing who you are. And, Habak- and Martin Luther changes the world. A church that is tied down. You could literally, in his day, pay your way to get your uh, grandmother out of purgatory and into heaven, right? That doesn't actually work. There was this little saying that went around... If a coin in the bottom of the tin cup rings, then out of purgatory your relative springs. And they were collecting all this money, and he said, that can't be right. 
And Martin Luther says, listen, the just shall live by faith. And he immediately is excommunicated, well, four years later, he's excommunicated by the church and he has to go on the run for his life. And he lives his whole life in fear that he's going to die. But while he runs, he publishes two, or publishes a great work every two weeks of his adult life, trying to set other people free so that they'll know the truth about Jesus. And in so doing, he changes the world. I could tell story after story about this, but let me tell you that I believe that God has gotten to the place with Parker Ford Church where we need to know a couple different things. One, if we have a lie in our life right now, it's the most dangerous thing that you can possibly imagine. If you're lying about something, I'm not here to shame you, guilt you. I'm not here to beat you up. You won't find anything less than grace. But tell the truth about you, okay? Just do it before you need to... Get it out there. Do it before anything else happens because it's building anxiety and hurt and fear in your life. Tell the truth about you. And when you lack faith in any moment in your life, and you will, and it's normal too, and you won't know what to confess at moments, by the way, come alongside some brothers or sisters or both in your life and say, listen, I want to tell the truth about me and I need you to walk alongside me because we need to walk the road of faith together, not alone, because Satan can lie to people who walk alone. So the first is tell the truth, and the second is tell the truth with other people and experience the power and the cleansing of God so you don't have to walk in all of this hurt and all of this anxiety. If there's something in your life that he wants to do, the just live by faith. That means the people of God now don't walk according to a set of rules. You can't actually just be a part of church in a way that will work for you. It won't work. You, you can't actually fake it. You can put a smile on your face, but it won't work because God knows what's in your heart, and he's looking to set you free. And when he sets you free, you'll be free indeed. A few years ago, a guy left this church. And on the way out the door, he looked at me and he said, you keep asking me about this thing that's wiggling around in my life. You act like there's something wrong with me. And he said this to not just me, to others of our leaders. He said, there's something, you act like there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with this church. And he said, there's, this is, Parker Ford Church is not a good church. And he was really angry at us. And there was no big issue that he was angry about. We couldn't figure it out. And he said, I just, I, I thought this was a grace-filled church. I said, I thought it was too. And he said, I just don't understand why you can't accept me as I am. And I was going, I don't know. And I didn't know. There's a darkness in my mind about him and there's something going on. And Ever since then, it's become clear that there was this thing in his life that he didn't confess. And that thing started to grow when he didn't confess, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until it started to hurt other people and it started to damage those around him in big ways. And he still, as far as I know, hasn't confessed. And yet, it's become very clear what that thing was. It, I realized something about this. God is filled with grace, right? He loves to give grace. He, He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what does that word mean? It means that when we confess, he loves to set us free. But if we never get to the point of confession, we're going to constantly find that this is a graceless faith, a powerless faith. When we try to be smarter, when we try to be more powerful, what we're trying to do is not be grace-filled. We don't know it. We would say, well, we should be accepted for where we're at, but that's not what God wants for our lives. He's saying, admit where you're at because that'll break the chain reaction of sin. It'll break the darkness. And admit it to other people. Not everybody. Don't stand up in church and say it. But find a few people who are trustworthy who can walk with you through this and receive grace for who you actually actually are. When I think of that guy, I think this is, that's one of those sad cases that got away. You know what I'm saying? One of those people who left our church and everybody said, well, what happened? And the answer was, he lied. And he probably lied to himself more than he lied to anybody else. But he lied, and that lie just continues to have effects. 
consider the possibility that you are living a lie in your life someplace and that that's not so bad of a lie, that you might think it's that you're just bigger than you are. Consider the fact that you have something in your life that needs to be confessed and look one of us up. Meet with us. We'll pray for you. We will seek God for you as a leadership team. We want to do this because we wish for people to walk in freedom. When we were praying before the service, Michael prayed an interesting prayer. She said, you know, Satan just hates freedom, and he does. Those chains are on that cross to symbolize that we think that the love and gospel and grace of Jesus are in many ways shackled because we're not set free like Jesus would bring us. He wants to set us free in a way that's powerful, and we constantly live these little deceptions that birth into big deceptions and eventually the gospel is hindered and the spirit of God isn't getting what it wants. So consider, if you're facing anxiety today, consider that God is calling you to not shrink back and to pursue him and that the just shall live by faith and that you're called to be just, you're called to be right. God wants to set you free. He wants you to be whole. He doesn't want this. And he does want, no matter what sin or failure or brokenness or hurt or lies in your life, he does want you to be somebody who's filled with grace. Join me in prayer. Father, we come before you, and I know that there are people all across this service that I know there's stuff in our lives that this speaks to. I know your word is so clear about this point, and I I hate talking about this subject right now because it just feels like it's so constantly a part of everything we do. Like whenever we step into a ministry or a program at Parker Ford, I, I suspect that there's people who are so gifted in you, and they don't even know they're gifted because they're hurting. And that those hurts might actually come from little lies that are so ancient that they, we don't even look at them as lies. They're not like that guy I'm telling the story about who had a big failure in his life or several of them. Instead, it's actually these kind of accumulated small failures. And we're not even aware that you want to set us free. We have lost the imagination and the hope and the faith. We've, we've got, shrinking back has for us become more than just a, a moment. It's become a culture of shrinking back. We've stepped backwards from conflict after conflict that you've actually called us to step into. And God, I pray that you'd help us to reverse that trend in this church and that you'd help us to reverse that trend in our area. And as you set people free, and you are, you know, Lord, this year, we see the reason why we can teach this message, preach this message, talk about this at all, is because we see that so often you're setting people free. We see an anxious mat set free from great pain. We see an anxious, broken person set free from addiction and failure. And we see a wife that's set free to forgive and heal. And we see holiness and hopefulness in our future. And yet we sit in a kind of halfway space where it's not all there. And some of us are still sitting on the other side of the line and we're wondering, should we really trust this thing called the gospel? Should we really believe? Because the church has let us down in the past and it will again. And yet your truth never does and your gospel never does and your spirit who is leading us into faith never, ever lets us down. God, I pray for our hearts that we would be people who would be humble and give up whatever it is the deep core thing, the, the little lie that we need to just admit. Help us to admit to our wives, to our husbands, to our pastors, to our friends, whoever it might be. Help us to walk in, in freedom in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.